Well, good morning, and I want to welcome you. If you happen to have visited last week and are back with us today, it's great to have you here in God's house. When I was um, a youth minister down in Texas, I was the number two guy at a little church plant that was a new Anglican church that was starting, and Alan, my uh, senior pastor there, had been there one year, and then he hired me to come on to his team. And in one of those moments where he was just kind of grieving or or really just dumping some negative energy and had to process some stuff, uh, in a private conversation, he he said, uh, you know, somebody came and said, I need to teach more in this church. And he reached over and he pulled this huge three-ring binder off of his shelf, and he said, in the first year I've been here, this is how much I've taught. And then just, you know, blowing off some steam, he said, so I've made a new rule. I'm not going to teach a new lesson until the previous one has been fully integrated. And I said, what was the last lesson? And he said, I taught, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Once they do that, then I'll give another teaching. (laughs) Right? But that lesson, that lesson is something that we are going to be learning to implement for the rest of our lives because it is so involved, so much so that Jesus said the entire summary of the law The law and the prophets all hang on that. Love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. In this gospel reading, this lawyer comes up to test Jesus. I like that the gospels have both Jesus giving a summary of the law, but in this case, Jesus challenging a lawyer who's trying to trip him up. So the lawyer, and this is, this is a religious lawyer, one who studied the law of Moses and the Old Testament. So he knew the Bible very well. The lawyer came to Jesus to trip him up and said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the answer Jesus gave was, well, how do you read the law? What does it say in there? And then the teacher gave a very good answer. Love God with all that you are and your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus simply says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Pretty straightforward. I stopped the reading there. It does go on and get into the parable of the Good Samaritan, but Sometimes we jump over that first part and get into the parable of the Good Samaritan and not just focus on that. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Love God and love your neighbor. Do this and you will live. Um, Maybe you've heard of the authors Cloud and Townsend, John Townsend and Henry Cloud. They've written uh, a very well-known book called Boundaries in Marriage. And then um, John Townsend wrote a follow-up book called Beyond Boundaries. And I really like some of the things in both of those books and, and can heartily commend them to you. In Beyond Boundaries, John Townsend summarizes a life well lived this way. He says, we are at our best when we are connected deeply to God and to the people who matter most. That, along with meaningful purpose and task, creates the best life possible. That creates the best life possible. So if you want to know the secret to life, that's it. Deep connection to God and the people that matter most, and then a purpose and a task that you're supposed to do. If you've got those things sorted out and pursue them, you will live a good life. Do this and you will live is actually how Jesus put it. Now, today we're starting into a new series, and we've got a new graphic for the next six weeks. It's on the bulletin. It's on the screen behind me. I'm going to focus in in the preaching on healthy relationships. And this is not just, um, you know, marriage relationships, let's say. Although if you're married, these principles will apply to your marriage and strengthen that. If you're single, these principles will apply to your interactions with people. If you are young, these principles will be useful for you. If you are old, it will be useful My hope is that it will be highly practical and very relevant, that you will take away things that will help you. God's teaching to us sometimes is 
a little convicting. And if you're a task-oriented person, a sermon series on relationships might not look that appealing. And, you know, God, by his design and his grace, has apportioned some people to be more task-oriented and others to be more relationship-oriented. But I want to suggest that even the tasks we all have to do at their end should serve relationships. We should be laborers who work unto God's glory. And the things that we do should build up community and not tear it down. And listen to God's command. And this is, this is somebody pointing something really helpful out in a Christian leadership book. The author says, God does not demand of me that I accomplish great things. He does demand of me that I strive for excellence in my relationships. Think about that. God, nowhere in the scripture says, you need to accomplish great things. That is not his command to us. But he does, in a number of places and in a number of ways, say, strive for healthy relationships. Relationships first with God, then with others. That's all through the scriptures. So this morning, I'm going to preach to you, but to be honest, I'm just simply up here processing something personally. I'm preaching to myself, and I'm going to let you be eavesdroppers, because this is about priorities this morning. And I found as I studied this and got into it, I was just preaching to myself. So um, I hope some of it will be useful for you as well. You know, we, we are so influenced by stories and narratives, and in our case, through TV and movies. And so all these illustrations about relationships just started coming to my mind from movies, from way back as well as current. And I thought about priorities and instantly thought of the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which I imagine many of you have seen. There's a scene in there, though, where Cameron, Ferris Bueller's friend, is venting his frustration that his father loves a car more than him. And his dad has this awesome Ferrari that he's perfectly restored. And in a fit of rage, Cameron starts kicking it, dents in the fender, busts in the side, smashes the lights, and then he kicks it off of a stand and it goes out a window and falls two stories upside down and gets totally destroyed. But as he's kicking it, he's talking about how much his father loves a stupid car instead of him, how badly his dad's priorities were out of line. What a powerful illustration that is for us. Or maybe in a more current illustration, um, I've been watching a TV series called Friday Night Lights, which is, I think it's in later seasons, but I've just watched the first five or six episodes. But it's about a football team in Texas, and the, um, the family that's real in the forefront of there is the head coach's family. And Coach Eric Taylor has an interaction with the head of his booster club, a guy named Buddy. Buddy is sleeping on Coach Taylor's couch because he's committed adultery and his wife has kicked him out. And Buddy is so misaligned in his priorities that when Coach Taylor goes to have dinner with a college team that is courting him to come on to their staff, he gets a piece of, uh, gets the tablet by the phone and a pencil, and he does this to see what the last message was and realizes what Coach Taylor was doing, and he's ready to lecture him when he gets home. And Coach Taylor takes him outside and takes him to task and says, Buddy, you care more about a high school football team than you do about your family. And he sends him home to work on his priorities. And unfortunately, that's not just in the TV shows. There are so many things for us that are temptations to pursue as lesser things than what is most important. Here's just a few of them. Materialism. Collecting up material things in this world. Big ones and small ones. Or projects. It feels good to take on a project and get it accomplished. But that can become something that takes away from relationships. Or career and career advancement, working so hard to meet the next rank or get the promotion or whatever it is that we start to ignore other things. 
or leisure or personal pleasure, having a good time can become a lesser thing that we are pursuing in place of relationships or security, personal security out of fear. Just two chapters later after this section in Luke, we're in Luke 10. In Luke 12, somebody comes to Jesus and says, teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And Jesus says, who made me your arbitrator? He says, man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What does man's life consist in? Well, he tells us right here, do this and you will live, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Love God and love others. First God, then others. That's what man's life consists in. It consists in our relationships. I've told you this before, and I'll keep telling you this until the story changes, but every time I'm blessed to be with somebody in their last moments of life, they are talking about relationships. They are never saying, oh, if I could have just driven a Ferrari. Oh, if I could have had another $100,000 in that fund. Oh, if I could have made it to rank fill in the blank. Never. It is always like, I wish I'd spent more time with my kids. I wish I'd told my neighbor about Jesus. I wish I had more opportunity to, to share my faith with those people at work. I wish I had more friends. I wish I'd spent more time investing in relationships. In some form or another, that's always what people are thinking. It's about priorities. I like how uh, a guy named Tom Holliday, who's one of the pastors at Saddleback Church, puts it. He has a book on relationships according to Jesus. And he, and he has a little refrain that he says in the beginning of one of his chapters that I found helpful for me and I think it'll be helpful for you. He says, place the highest value on relationships, not on money, but on relationships first with God, then with others. Not on time, but on relationships first with God, then with others. Not on things, but on relationships first with God, then with others. Not on your work, but on relationships first with God, then with others. The question in Luke 10 is interesting to me. The teacher, uh, the, the lawyer coming to Jesus says, teacher says, teacher, what must I do to inherit? Think about those two words. How do you inherit something? You inherit it based on a relationship. You know, uh, a grandfather passes away and you inherit something. You didn't do something to inherit it. You were related to that person in some way. At best, what you could do is develop a relationship. There's a relationship there, and then the inheritance happens. But it's not a work. You don't earn an inheritance. It comes as a gift because of relationships. So the question that this lawyer is asking Jesus from the very beginning is not crafted well. It shows his confusion about priorities. He wants eternal life, but he thinks he can earn it. And Jesus is saying eternal life does not come from a work. It comes from a relationship. This is the Sunday after Easter, the second Sunday of the Easter season. Why did Jesus come? He came to reconcile us. It's about relationship. He came to bring forgiveness so we can be reconciled to God and then to one another. That's why we exchange the peace as a liturgical act, as part of worship. It's not a meet and greet. It's, it's, to sim it's symbolically to say, I am reconciled with you. The peace of the Lord be with you and also with you. I'm reconciled to God vertically and then horizontally to one another. It's about relationships. That's what eternal life is made up of. Relationships matter most. And the cross and resurrection are about restoring relationships. And frankly, if we're looking for satisfaction in this life, that's where we will find it. We'll actually find it in relationships because of how we were made. Think about this. We're made in the image of God. And God, as the creed helps us understand, is the Trinity. 
He is one God, eternally existing in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three persons of God. That means that God is a community within himself. So he is relationship. And if we're made in his image, we are made for relationships, first with God, then with others. If that's what we were made for, then when that happens in our life, we will experience the greatest fulfillment. When we have a deep connection to God and to others that matter most to us, then we will experience fulfillment. We were made in God's image. We were made to be relational. So again, from movies, think about the movie Castaway. Tom Hanks takes a volleyball and makes a face on it and calls it Wilson, the manufacturer of the volleyball. He names it, and he begins a relationship with the volleyball because there's no one else on this island. He doesn't do that because he's crazy. He does that because he's made in God's image and made for relationship, and that's the best thing he can come up with on that island to have a relationship with because he's destitute and desperate. And I've mentioned before, solitary confinement is real punishment because we were made for relationship. And to be alienated for lengthy periods from any other human contact does great damage to us. It's so harmful because we were made in God's image. We were made for relationship. Again, Townsend, John Townsend from that book, Beyond Boundaries, talks about when he had little kids at home and two boys would often fight with each other and he would have to sometimes separate them. And he found it to be an interesting thing that when the offending party was reprimanded, but there was no real restitution made, you know, he's sent to his room and then the other kid goes to his room because he's got nothing else to do. He said after a little bit of time for their hot heads to cool down, they came back together and played again and they weren't demanding justice the one that was offended usually forgot about it and moved back to the relationship because it mattered so much for those two boys to be together and that was more important than being apart. So they were willing to overlook the offense so they could go back to playing together again. Again, it's just another illustration of the fact that we were made for relationships. Now, I've not in this sermon defined a relationship yet. That's an interesting thing to look up in a dictionary, what is a relationship? You know, what are we talking about here? And of course, you can find definitions that talk about the romantic side of relationships in terms of dating and that sort of stuff. But, or you can talk about family tree and bloodlines and, you know, heritage kind of thing. But mostly the definition is about connection. Every time I looked it up in five or six different dictionaries, it had the word connection. Relationships are about the connections that we have with other people. And that includes the ways that we interact, what our behavior is like when we're together, how we talk. Words are huge in connection. Communication is so huge in connection. So when you think about relationships and having healthy relationships, that also means healthy communication, healthy patterns of interaction, healthy words, the way you choose to speak, all of these things. Now here's the application this morning. As we start into this new series, here's the application. Am I properly balanced in my life? Am I balancing properly all the different things that I do and have and am? My time, my money, my words, the people I'm interacting with, all of that kind of stuff. Am I balanced? Am I doing it the right way? I I was blessed to go on the first, or I guess the second mission trip we took to Peru. And when I got there, a British engineer who was part of the team that lived down there permanently, or he was there for three years, I think, told me on the front end, he he said, I've got to warn you, as you try to build this church building, you've got to be prepared for something. Everything in Peru takes twice as long as it should and three times as long as you expect. And I saw why. 
The reason was any time a relationship or um, any time a, a person came to visit, everybody dropped the tools and they did hospitality. They'd put on a full spread of food. They'd set out tea. They'd pour you a Coke and, and conversation and, and share family stories and all this kind of stuff. And, and me, the American, I'm thinking, come on, guys, pick up the tools. Let's get back to work. We got to get this thing done. And ironically, we were building a church building. And the purpose of a church is the gathering of people. And I wanted them to not talk to people and do bricks and mortar and paint. And it, that's just how the Peruvian culture works. So it moves slower in terms of accomplishing tasks, but the relationships were way stronger. They, they valued something in a different, very, very different way than I did. And I was grateful for that experience. So here's a couple of practical things to think about. Because I, I don't, certainly don't want to lay on you a sense of guilt or on myself. So know this, you are limited, and so am I. We cannot do it all. There is a limit on the number of relationships a person can maintain. Every one of us has several, numerous relationships that have grown distant. There are reasons for that, some beyond your control, maybe geography, someone's job took them away, or families are scattered now because of just the way our culture works. Um, sometimes it's because of sin and conflict and estrangement or unforgiveness, but we cannot maintain every relationship that is presented before us. We have to actually choose to invest in some, and the opportunity cost is there are some that we can't invest in. And that's hard if you are a people person and not a task person, because you want to like everybody, you want to know everybody, you want to have friendships with everybody, and you just simply can't. You can't. You know, as a pastor, I'm thinking, there were 1,100 people here last week. I want to meet every single one of them and know them all. That's crazy. I can't, I can't maintain that many relationships, nor can any of you. It's impossible. So we have to decide. We're limited. Another thing to know about relationships is this. They are dynamic. They are not static. So relationships are moving constantly. They can be growing closer through intentional effort and communication and, and connection. They can also be growing distant by neglect or other things. So understand that they are dy a dy dynamic thing, even to the end or extent that some must come to an end. That just is, sometimes it's the natural life cycle of a relationship. It has to come to an end and new ones begin. As much as I like that old rhyme, make new friends but keep the old, one is silver and the other gold, you just can't keep all of those relationships, which makes it really hard. It makes it tough. So how do we decide? Well, back to the little refrain I used before. First with God, then with others. First with God, then with others. If you start with first with God and deepen that relationship and learn to listen to him, he will bring to mind people, individuals, that he wants you to go and invest in, that he wants you to reconcile with, that he wants you to reach out to. He will give you the guidance necessary. He knows everyone. He actually is not limited and is able to manage all of that. So if you're connected to him, he can help you know how to be connected to others. First with God, then with others. So this morning, I want to encourage you to bring before the Lord your relationships, the connections you have with people, as well as the other things that your life is made up of, and ask the question, am I living it right? Are my priorities where you would have them be? And help me, God, to know how to do this. So let's bow our heads and let's offer it up to the Lord.